Well, good morning. It is fun to get to be here um, with all of you in this spot again. It's been a while since I've gotten to preach. Um, and as you know, we are spending some time this summer going through, uh, just kind of looking at some different figures uh, throughout Scripture. We're calling this, this series kind of Cloud of Witnesses. And I love it because we get a chance to kind of focus in on some of the big names of the faith. Um, but today, we come to one who really is anything but a great figure uh, in her time. So we began with Abraham, you know, kind of father of the faith, um, through whom kind of all of Israel came into existence, and the promise of, you know, I will bless you in order to bless the nations, right? Like, that's a big story in the Old Testament. And then last week, uh, Mark looked with us at uh, the relationship between um, David and Nathan, and again, like, kings and sons of kings here. Like, these are big figures. But today we come to Ruth. And if we know anything about Ruth, she is a foreigner, she is a widow, she is a woman. All of these things placed her as a second-class, second-class citizen. And yet she, too, is one of the heroes of the faith. And I love that I get to when Mark first put together the series, like, he was preaching all the women, and I was like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> I get to preach Ruth. <laughs> so I'm excited to get to spend some time looking at Ruth with you. The thing that I love about this book is I, as I began reading through the story, you know, initially I was thinking about, you know, Ruth's uh, comments to her mother-in-law. She says, uh, you know, your God is my, where you go, I will go, where you stay, I will stay, your people will be my people, right? Like, kind of, I was like, oh, this is a book about loyalty and community and commitment, um, and it is, but as I began reading it, what began standing out to me and, and so clear to me is that, you know, this is a story about ordinary life and being faithful in the small, mundane, ordinary parts of life, and I'm so grateful that I got to spend this last week there. Um, and I'm grateful that we get to spend some time in that today because the reality is that we spend much of our lives doing mundane, ordinary, seemingly tedious things, whether it's in your place of work, whether it's at home, uh, whether it's in parenting or not parenting. Much of life is ordinary, mundane, routine, and we can get worn down by that. And yet this book reminds us um, that this, too, is a gift from God and that God is working in and through these ordinary things to do truly extraordinary things. So I love the connection that I hope we'll see this morning between the mundane pieces of our lives, the things that, that are tedious, and the epic story that God is writing, that we have a critical role in the midst of the mundaneness of life in the beautiful thing that God is doing. So that's where we're going this morning. Let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll jump in. Lord, I needed to be reminded this week that my life matters, that the simple things that I encounter day to day are beautiful because you find them beautiful. So Lord, as we hear Ruth's story this morning, as we talk about just the simple realities of a of a really hard time in her life, that you would help us connect um, with the truth that our lives, too, are valuable. 
help us to see um, how you are working in and through us through this community and help us to see how we are connected to this broad cloud of witnesses. Thanks, Lord, for this time and for these people. In Jesus' name, amen. So a little bit of context on Ruth, since it's maybe not the book that you spend the most time in. Um, Ruth, uh, this story occurs during the time of the judges. And this is a time that's described um, as a time when Israel was not following the way of the Lord. They were worshiping other gods. So if you remember the book of Judges, it's person after person being raised up by God saying, turn around! You're going the wrong direction. Stop what you're doing. You're doing the wrong thing. And in the midst of that, Ruth's life unfolds. It's, she's not mentioned anywhere in the book of Judges, and yet this is a parallel story that we get dropped into for just four chapters. And so I'm going to kind of tell the whole story this morning. I'm going to read just a couple chunks of it. And so listen as I read the opening verses. And just a total aside, I'm reading it out of a Bible, a physical concrete Bible. It's not an app. And it's just kind of occurred to me recently to wonder why is it that as a church we have moved so far away from carrying our Bibles to church. I don't want to shame anyone. Um, I just wanted to ask the question, why is it that we don't bring our Bibles anymore? Because I think if we ask that question and answer it for ourselves, we might realize that we don't really like the reasons why our Bibles are at home on a shelf. So, that's for free. <laughs> Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and his name, the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. Jeez Louise, all those names. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab, and they lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malan and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Now remember I said that this is a book um, simply looking at faithfulness in the midst of the ordinary. And even in these opening seven verses, I want you to notice the intentional language that the author uses here, right? When, when we read that the famine ended, it doesn't just say the famine ended and so Naomi returned to Bethlehem and Judah. It says, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, she decided to return. That's important. Our language is important. It's evidence of our worldview. God is an integral part of this famine ending and the characters in the story recognize that and they give voice to that. Now, following this, the part that I'm not going to read, um, if you know the story, Naomi sets out on the way back to Bethlehem and then realizes this isn't a good idea for these young women who are also widows to come with me. They should stay here, should remarry, should start a new life. Because in that culture, women had no protection if they did not have a spouse to care for them. 
And so she tells these two young women, stay here. And Orpah chooses to remain in Moab, but Ruth chooses to go with Naomi. And that's where we get that beautiful statement of loyalty, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. That's beautiful. So Ruth and Naomi both return to Bethlehem. And at the very end of chapter 1, there's another line that would be easy to overlook, but that is critical in understanding what is happening here. In verse 22, it says, So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, for those of us who go to Safeway or QFC or Trader Joe's to get our food, we don't recognize the importance of the fact that the barley harvest is about to happen. Um, and that's where I want to take a moment to kind of look at the significance of what's happening here. The book of Leviticus is full of God's law. And a lot of it you can kind of get bogged down in. But there are a lot of laws that God puts in place specifically to care for people like Naomi and Ruth. The foreigner, those who are overlooked by society typically. God cares for these people. He cherishes them. And so in the book of Leviticus, in chapter 23, um, he puts a law in place for gleaning. And he says in this law, don't reap to the very edges of your fields, but leave that portion of the grain for the foreigner and the poor to come in behind you and to collect the parts around the edges gleaning. So for Ruth and Naomi returning to Bethlehem, the fact that the barley harvest was beginning means that they have hope of food. That Ruth is going to be able to go into the field. She's going to be able to walk along behind the workers in the field and collect the bits that they don't collect. And that she and Naomi are going to be able to sustain themselves because of this law that God put in place generations before. So we see in the way that the author tells this story a couple of times right here in the first chapter that God is at work. And Naomi and Ruth are tuned into that. So right here at the beginning, we see that this is a loving God, that the God who is at work in this story is a loving God. That He is a God who takes care of not just the people uh, who have it all together. Um, he takes care of the vulnerable. The other note that I want to make to, um, no, I'm not going to do that yet. I'm going to continue reading. So I'm going to pick up again in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, and I'm going to read a few more verses here. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, that is an important phrase, as it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Ruth does not realize that this is where she's going, but look where she turns up, in the field of a family member. Just then, Bo that's not coincidence. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. And Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. 
She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen, don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the harvesters are working and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. And she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Boaz enters the story in this chapter. And Boaz is um, a key figure for understanding the book of Ruth and its presence in scripture. Um, what Boaz does here in allowing Ruth to come in and glean is fulfilling this, this law laid out in the book of Leviticus. But we find out later in the, in the chapter that follows that Boaz has a title, that he is known as a kinsman redeemer. And if we look again in the book of Leviticus and understand what that means, in chapter 25 it says, if one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. If any of your people become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves. They are to be treated as hired workers. So Ruth shows up in this field seemingly coincidentally that happens to be owned by Boaz, who turns out to be the kinsman redeemer for Naomi's family. And what happens in the chapters following, we see, and we're not going to read all of this, is that Boaz not only allows Ruth to come in and glean throughout the entire harvest for barley, he then says, come back and harvest behind my harvesters during the wheat harvest as well. So months, Ruth and Naomi are taken care of. And then at the end of that, Boaz agrees to step into the much more significant role as kinsman redeemer. Naomi has to go and sell her property in order to, to continue living, to have the resources to do that. And Boaz steps in and says, I will purchase that. I'll keep that land in the, prop, in the family and I am going to marry Ruth. So this is kind of going above and beyond what is expected in law, but in doing that, Boaz redeems Naomi. He redeems Ruth. He's a foreshadowing of Jesus who comes and buys us out of our slavery and our sin. All of this, we see God at work here. So I want to highlight just a few things that we learn about God, that we learn about the life of faith, through this story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. And the first one is that Ruth's story, in Ruth's story, we are reminded that God cares about the small. He cares about the ordinary details of our lives. There's nothing too small, nothing too insignificant to escape God's concern and his care. And we see this, first of all, even in the presence of Ruth's story in scripture. She is not a king. She is not a son of a king. She is a female, a widow, a foreigner, everything about her places her as forgettable in this culture. And yet her story has found a place in our scripture. And that shows that God, who is the author of this book, finds value in the small, the little things, the insignificant. 
It reminds me of Matthew 10. This is not a sparrow falls to the ground outside of your father's care. Ruth is provided for in this story because God cares for her. I think all of us have been watching the story of J37, the orca, who is now, I think, in her 18th day of pushing her dead um, calf around the Puget Sound. And it's heartbreaking um, day after day to, to read the updates of that story and to see the grief expressed in the animal kingdom that's playing out in our waters. Um, but there's comfort for me in knowing that God sees that. And that even one of his animals, one among millions, that God grieves that as well. That God cares about that. That that story is honored. And the same is true in, in all of the details of our life. And so as we encounter God's care for the small things in Ruth's story, we can find encouragement to also find value in the small, seemingly insignificant details and events of our lives. I was reading this week um, some poems by Wendell Berry, and I was reading it because one of his, my favorite poems is, is his. Um, it speaks about the peace of wild things, going down by the water side and experiencing the peace of God. But the, this book is called Given, and the very first poem in it is called Dust. It says, the dust motes float and swerve in the sunbeam, as lively as worlds. And I remember my brother when we were boys. We may be living on an atom in somebody's wallpaper. And I thought, wow, Wendell Berry is a really famous poet. And someone took the time to collect all of his poems together and, and publish them, and they've been purchased by millions of people. And this one's about a dust moat. How ordinary is that? And I read a little bit further, and there was another one where he wrote about um, sitting in his mother's property and watching a digger dig up some old pottery, some old jugs. I'm like, wow, that made it into an anthology of poetry. Like, and I just was encouraged in reading his poems to want to be more like a poet, able to look at the dust motes and the diggers churning up jugs in my yard and to see the beauty in that and to simply sit and reflect and rest in that. As I was thinking, I was also reminded, and then I figured out where it was from, and I was like, oh, I probably shouldn't use that. Um, of, there's a video that I had seen of this bag blowing in the wind. It's like three minutes long of this bag blowing in the wind. And I was like, oh, that's such a beautiful illustration, right? Like, we've outlawed them in Seattle because they're such trash, and yet someone found enough beauty in that to make a three-minute video of this bag being tossed in the wind. Well, it's from American Beauty, and I'm not sure the point that was being made by using it in that movie, However, God finds beauty in Ruth, in Naomi, in the details of their lives unfolding. And I think in that, there's an invitation for us to find beauty in the details of our lives and to be willing to sit and rest in them. These things please God. There's value in them. Well, the second thing that stood out to me was that we also see in Ruth's story that there is nothing too small for God to use for his purposes. That God is always at work behind the scenes in this story, even in the seemingly most inconsequential moments, to move Ruth and Naomi and Boaz towards the good end that he has promised. 
And I've highlighted a couple of these, but Naomi decides to return to Bethlehem. And God ensures that when she and Ruth arrive, the barley harvest is beginning. So they are provided for in Naomi's decision. There's this interplay between human decision and God's work. Ruth decides to go to the field to glean, and as it turned out, she shows up in Boaz's field, this kinsman redeemer who is going to end up being the key to not only her and Naomi's redemption, but even more than that. In Romans, we're reminded that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And we see it in Boaz entering the story and him being faithful in his role as a landowner and an employer. The way he walks into the field and he says, the Lord bless you. And his people echo back. And also with you. He could just see this as business, kind of separate his faith from his work, and yet he doesn't. And God works in and through that to provide for Ruth and Naomi. There's nothing too small for God to use for good. He can use even the inconsequential moments of our lives. He's working behind the scenes, even when we don't recognize it, when we can't see it, to work things towards a good end. And not only for us, but we are part of a bigger story. And so every moment in our lives matter. There's purpose in living even our ordinary lives and the ordinary parts of our lives to God's glory because God can and is using those things. Now this really struck me this week because I'm a mom. I only work part-time at the church, so I have a lot of time where I'm home dealing with the realities of kids. And some of that's joyful and some of that's really mundane, right? And as I hear about life in your shoes, we're parents, we're people working in jobs that we don't love. There's a lot about life that just feels like drudgery. And it was encouraging to me to hear and to be reminded that God is working through those details. That when I live my life as a parent to the glory of God, when I am my best self in those moments, God is working in and through that not only in my story, but he's weaving my story together in a much larger story. I have told some of you that um, Mark and I had uh, Carter and Caleb living with us, so we had four kids in our household until uh, the end of the school year, and the, that last year and a half was like, life on overdrive, trying to manage all of that in our household. And since then, you know, we took three weeks off, and yet I have found that my brain has not been able to slow down, that I've still been churning. But what I've been churning, instead of managing kids' schedules, I've found, like, every day it's a different thing. And they're all, like, these epic, huge ideas. And, like, solving the homeless crisis in the city of Seattle, or, I mean, like, big things. And they're all good. But I have found in myself like this inherent kind of pride that like I feel like I need to accomplish something great, right? And I think that I'm not the only one in that, that we have these um, desires to be significant, to do something big and, and meaningful. And yet I think we see stories, I mean, in the news this week with Willow Creek, 
Over and over again, people who set their sights on those big things allow the small things to fall to the side and end up not being faithful in the little things. And I was reminded of the parable of the talents where Jesus says, if you can't be faithful with a little, then why would I give you much? I desire to accomplish great things. I desire for sanctuary to accomplish great things. It would be great if like, all of the world's problems were solved by us. <laughs> but if we can't be faithful in the ways that we parent, if we can't be faithful in the ways that we interact with our neighbors, in the ways that we drive down the freeway, in the ways that we work, why would God give us more? I was very convicted by that this week. Now, as we look at the story of Ruth and Naomi, and, and we see the ways that God is behind the scenes um, working things for Ruth and Naomi's good, the question can come to us, well, that's great that God chooses to show up in the barley harvest, but why didn't he show up when all of their husbands died? Why did he allow the famine to happen in the first place, right? And it can probably bring to mind then situations in our lives. You know, as we try to place ourselves in this place of trusting that God is at work, working all of these things in our life towards good, well, then why did my loved one die? This has been a tough week. Um, Ken Kuman, another fellow CRC pastor in our, in our classes, died after like a month-long battle with cancer. It was like that. He was the most vibrant he, he mentored Mark and I um, in our process of ordination. He literally was like the pastor in our classes that I would want to be. Gone in a month. So I can look at, at situations like that and be like, <laughs> great, but why didn't you show up then, God? That's a, value, or a valid um, question. And I wish that the worship team could just come and play the last song again because we acknowledged that tension in the last worship song. Um, and there was no answer. There was simple the reality that, like, yes, there are things that we do not understand, and God is good. Ultimately, we don't know. We encounter in Ruth's story this mystery, this interplay between free will, between human autonomy and God's sovereignty and providence, and in the story, we simply see a few who choose to trust in the midst of that and to cling to hope in the face of hardship. And we are invited through Ruth's story to do the same, to relax into the mystery, recognizing that there are things that we just can't know, but that God is good, God is loving, and he is at work, even when we can't understand it and don't necessarily see it. Now, the rest of the story I've alluded to, um, Boaz ends up agreeing to marry Ruth, ultimately providing she and Naomi with his covering, with his protection, with his provision. Um, and then at the very end of chapter 4, we get kind of the key to the whole thing. There's a genealogy. Now, if you are like me, you get to these genealogies and you're like, boop, skip over to the next chapter. But often, we miss out when we do that. So Ruth and Boaz have a child. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. 
David, who is the predecessor to Jesus. And that leads me to the last thing that I want to highlight. And that is that in Ruth, we're given a moment of valuable perspective that we don't often get in our own lives. As the author pulls back at the end here to allow us to see how Ruth's life and her redemption intersect with and make possible not only her own redemption and the redemption of her family, but also makes possible God's cosmic plan of redemption for all, all people, all things. Through this genealogy at the end, we see that Ruth is simply one of many ancestors in the lineage that leads us to Jesus, who is the great redeemer. All of our songs this morning were singing about the descendant of Ruth, the great redeemer that all of scripture looks forward to, that the Old Testament law and the nation of Israel ultimately find their fulfillment in. Now, Ruth had no idea. She never got to see the end of that story. No idea the powerful ways that God intended to use her. And neither do we. We don't have the luxury of being pulled out of our story to see how it fits in the greater whole. But God is working in and through us, our stories, just like he worked in Ruth's life and Naomi's and Boaz's. The seemingly insignificant details of our lives are part of a bigger picture. And the way that we live out our small lives matters. We have no idea the impact that we are having on others and how those others are weaving together into the broad story of redemption. It's also important to remember that God's plan isn't fragile and that it's not thwarted by our humanity and our sinfulness. Because we can very quickly want to kind of opt out of it, thinking that, oh, I'm not, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough. But if we look, if we trace back and understand a little bit about who these people are, Boaz, the, the redeemer that, that is a foreshadowing of Jesus, he's a descendant of Tamar who, if you remember, dressed as a prostitute to get her father-in-law to have sex with her to give her a child. She, he is the son of Rahab, who is another faithful prostitute. Right? These are not perfect people. They do not have shiny records. And God, it doesn't matter. They, they show faith in him, and God works through him, through these people. Ruth was a foreigner. He, she was a Moabite. Naomi's son should not have married her. And yet, Ruth comes to faith, and God weaves her right in. And all of these messed up, sinful people, they show up in the genealogy at the beginning of Matthew that leads to Jesus. God's plan of redemption is not fragile. So if we pull back for a moment... This story of Ruth is a reminder to us to hope in every situation, trusting that even when we can't see it, even when we don't understand what is going on, that God is at work, actively at work, through the millions of tiny moments of our lives, weaving all of this together towards his good end. Your life matters. My life matters. Each moment. Each interaction is holy. It's marked by God's presence. 
and it can and will be used by him. And so the invitation for us is like Naomi, like Ruth, like Boaz, to be always looking for God. To allow the, aware, the awareness of his presence to shape our worldview, to color our speech, to add meaning and purpose to each moment. And to trust that God is with you and working through you in the simple things and the big things, piecing all of this together for your redemption, but beyond that, the redemption of all things. You are a part of that story.